Well, good morning. My name is Brian O'Day. I'm one of the pastors of the church here. Good to be worshiping together this morning. Your Bibles, uh, turn with me. to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 3, uh, as Sean I have a Bible, a provided Bible under a seat somewhere nearby, I encourage you to find Judges, I did not uh, find the page number for you, but if you found Numbers, we're just a couple of books past Numbers, Judges chapter 3. I'm going to be reading a fair amount uh, here in a moment, and so you'll definitely want to be following along with me. Uh, as you can see from, from uh, the screens behind me, uh, the title for the sermon this morning is Chosen and Set Apart. Act like it. To say it a little longer way, have you been chosen and set apart by God for His purposes? If so, you should act like you are chosen and set apart by God for His purposes. In our passage this morning, we're going to get uh, really just a few brief glimpses. It's going to feel like reading. Um, but it's just a few glimpses into the life of a man by the name of Samuel, uh, sorry, Samson. Uh, Samson is the last judge in the book of Judges. And as we read through our passage together, I want you to examine Samson's life. I want you to ask a couple of questions of Samson. Is he chosen and set apart by God? I think you'll have the answer to that question by the time we get to the end of chapter 13. Is he chosen and set apart by God? And then for the rest of the passage, I want you to ask yourself, is Samson acting like he is chosen and set apart by God? Is he acting like it? That will really be answered in the rest of the passage. And as you do so, I want you to also examine your own life. Are you chosen and set apart by God? And if so, are you acting like it? And so pick it up with me as we read Judges chapter 13 through 16. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. Behold, you can bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For the child is to be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah rose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now with your word, now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life? And what is his mission? 
And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink water strong drink, or eat any unclean thing, all that I commanded her, let her observe. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, if you detain me, I will not eat of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that when your words come true, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? So Manoah took the goats and with the grain offering and offered it on the rock of the Lord to the one who works wonders. And Manoah and his wife were watching. And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord, and Manoah said to his wife, shall die, for we have seen. had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or show us all these things, or now announce to us such things as these. And the woman bore a son, and called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahana Dan between Zorah and Ishtael. Samson went to Timnah. He saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and his mother said to him, Is a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. Samson's eyes. After some days he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, the swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out into his hand on eating as he went and he came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate but he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion his father went down to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there for so the young men used to do as soon as the people saw him they brought 30 companions to be with him and Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle before you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. 
You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father or my mother, and shall I tell you? She wept before him. The seven days of their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her, but she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people, and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he on and struck down thirty men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. After some days, time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goats, and he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her, so I gave her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, This time I shall be innocent regard to the Philistines when I do, harm, when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain, as well as the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson the son-in-law of the Tinmite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be, I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Etam. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of it, Judah said, why have you come up against us? And they said, we have come up to bind Samson and do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Edom and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, we have come to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. When he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that has caught fire. And his bonds melted off his hands, and he found a fresh bone of a donkey, and put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck one thousand men. And Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramothly High. He was very thirsty, and he called upon the Lord and said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant, and shall I now die of thirst? And fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from him, from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called En Hakor. It is at Lehi to this day. 
And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. Samson went to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute into her. The Gazites were told Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night in the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait until the light of morning. Then we will kill him. But Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the house and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in. After this, he loved a woman of the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him. Great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies, how you might be that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the Lord to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If you bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me now how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight, with the, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom, and the web. And she said to him, How can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times. You have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his hearts. And he said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told his hearts. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his hearts. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out at, uh, as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill in the prison. And the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into 
our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they called, they said, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords were there. Roof, there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at death were more than those who killed during his life. And his brothers and all his family came down, took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zorah and Eshdael in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel for 20 years. May God bless the reading word. Uh, we're going to switch out Mike. Hopefully this one will not come in and out as much. Sorry for that distraction. I trust as we read all of that, that you were able to answer the two questions. Remember the questions were, has Samson been chosen and set apart by God? And is he acting like it? And also to think on your own life, have you been chosen and set apart by God? And are you acting like it? So the first question that we saw in chapter 13, or that we asked of chapter 13, is are you chosen and set apart for God's purposes? Are you chosen and set apart for God's purposes? It is clear that Samson is chosen and set apart by God before he was even conceived. You see, in chapter 13, the angel of the Lord, who is most likely the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ himself, visits Samson's mother and then also his father. And the angel of the Lord tells this couple, this barren couple, that they are going to have a son. He tells them that this son in chapter 13, verse 5, is to be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He actually says, from the womb all the way until the day of his death. I had Sean read for us what a Nazarite vow looked like. One thing, one word I hope you gather from Numbers chapter 6 about a Nazarite. It is one who is set apart for God. It is a vow to separate oneself, to be set apart for God. Samson's Nazarite vow was a little different. It wasn't voluntary that he himself undertook. It also was not temporary like most Nazarite vows. His was given to his parents, and it was to be a lifetime vow. It was actually to start with his mother, who was to not drink wine, to not drink strong drink while she was pregnant with Samson. Samson was being set apart for the Lord's work before he was even born. Further, Samson, I'm still in chapter 13, verse 5. He had a mission that he was going to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. 
He was going to begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. This is a tall task. If you've been with us in the book of Judges, there's a lot that's been going on, and Israel is in a really bad spot. And so to begin to save them from the oppressing Philistines is going to be a tall task. But Samson has been chosen, and he's been set apart for it. Honestly, the start of the story was probably really promising. And as I read it, you're like, all right, this is going to be good. Right? We've had a lot of bad news in the book of Judges. This one maybe is going to be one of good news. Notice how chapter 13 ends. Read with me verses 24 and 25 again. The woman, this is Samson's mother, bore a son, called his name Samson. And the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Right? This is how it all started for Samson. It looks promising. Is Samson chosen and set apart by God? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Now, the original audience for this book of Judges is the nation of Israel, the Israelites. They are the chosen and set apart people of God. You see, Samson is a picture for Israel. Yes, he actually lived and these things actually happened, But they are recorded in such a way as to hold up a mirror for the Israelites so they could look at their own life as a people and examine themselves. You see, Israel was called and set apart by God before they were ever a nation. God called a barren couple and he spoke to Abram and said, you're going to be a nation and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. All that took place before they were ever a nation in Genesis chapter 12. God would bless them and bless others through them. So Israel can certainly see themselves in Samson. They too are chosen and set apart as a people for God, even before their birth as a people. But I also want you to read Samson as a mirror into your own life. Are you chosen and set apart for God. You see, if you're a Christian, or even if you ever will become a Christian, Ephesians chapter 1 is true about you. The Apostle Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus that God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy, chose us before the foundation of the world. Why? So that we should be holy. If you need a working definition for the word holy, set apart for God's purposes. You see the theme? Nazarite, one who is set apart for God's purposes. Holy, one who is set apart for God's purposes. If you're a Christian, you were chosen by God Before he laid the foundation of the world and you were chosen to be holy, to be set apart for the purposes of God. If you are not yet walking in Christ and you are fighting against God constantly putting things into your life that point to him and you're like, okay, I, I hear that there's Christians out there. God, I hear that you're, there's a Bible. I hear that I should be going in that way, but you're fighting against it. It's quite possible that what is happening is that God has chosen you before the foundation of the world to be his and to be set apart for his purposes, and you're fighting against it. And you're going to continue to fight against it until you ultimately submit to his rule and his reign in your life. If you're a Christian or you ever will be a Christian, you have been chosen by God and you have been set apart for his purposes. The question that remains today is, are you acting like you are chosen and set apart by God for his purposes? Or are you just doing whatever you want? Chapters 14 through 16, we see this play out in Samson's life. Are you acting like it? Samson's life, although off to a great start, gets off to the rails very quickly. I could go through and point out each one of the things that we see in this passage, but just to summarize chapters 14 through 16, Samson 
the judge of Israel for 20 years, the guy who was set apart from before his conception, the guy who was supposed to be a Nazarite from the womb until the day of his death, he has failed to live up to his calling. He's failed to walk in it. By the end of chapter 16, he has broken most likely everything about a Nazarite vow. One of the things that we read about in Numbers chapter 6, just for one example, is that he is not supposed to touch a dead body. Even if his mom or his dad dies, he's not supposed to go and be with them. Not his brother, not his sister, not anybody. No contact with dead bodies. What's the first thing we see him do after he sets his eyes on this Philistine woman? He kills a lion. Okay, so maybe that was self-defense. Maybe there's an out there. Okay, well, then he comes a couple days later, and there's bees making honey in the carcass of the lion, and he scoops it out and starts eating the honey from the dead carcass of the lion. This is a clear violation of his Nazarite vow. Over and over again throughout the story, he is constantly breaking his Nazarite vow. He is living for himself. He also breaks many other prohibitions that are in place for all Israelites, all of the people of God. All around, if you just summarize all of it, he is living for himself. He is ruled by his belly. He wants to eat and drink as he pleases, not according to how God would have him eat and drink. He is ruled by his lust for women. You'll notice he's with at least three different women in this passage, none of which are part of the people of God. He's ruled by his lust for women. He's ruled by his belly. He's also ruled by his anger and vengeance. We see that over and over throughout the story. Samson is not acting like he is chosen and set apart by God for God's purposes, is he? Now, many of you have walked into this room with a belief about God that needs to change. You see, some of you have a belief about God that would lead you to imagine that because Samson did not live out his calling in the Lord, that the Lord was unable to do what the Lord wanted to do in Samson's life, right? So unfortunately, you've believed this, and and regrettably, you've probably been taught this uh, by far too many teachers, that God's arm can be shortened when God's people don't obey him. Anybody believe that? It's taught far too often. I've heard people say very uh, things very contrary to Scripture on this point. Well, let's ask the question, what did God do through Samson? Well, God did exactly what God said he would do. All that God promised that would happen in Samson's life is in chapter 13, verse 5, that Samson would begin to save Israel from the Philistines. And what Samson does is he begins to save Israel from the Philistines. He kills a lot of Philistines. Uh, He does it by his own hand. He does it in some pretty uh, disobedient ways, Uh, but he does begin to save Israel from the Philistines. So that's what happens. He killed a lot of Philistines. He began to save Israel. That's it. God kept his covenant to Israel God kept his covenant to Samson, even though Samson did not obey what the Lord instructed. God even responds to Samson's prayers, one of which is completely selfish, just about uh, he's thirsty and needs water, and God answers that prayer. God answers the prayer for vengeance at the very end of uh, the story. Samson doesn't say, Lord, They're calling out to their fake God, and they're saying that their fake God is better than you, God, and so you need to show them that you're the one true God. That's not what Samson says. Samson says, look, they gouged out my eyes, and I want to get them back. And God answers that prayer. The reason God answers that prayer is because it lines up with the will of God, and God is continuing to do what God is going to do. This is a consistent theme throughout 
the scriptures. God does whatever he pleases. God does whatever he pleases. If you want a very clear example of this being uh, lived out at the end of Genesis, uh, Joseph makes this statement to his brothers who have acted very wickedly towards Joseph. And he tells them, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Right? So God is able to do whatever he pleases and not only able to do, that's what he does. God is always doing whatever he pleases. So the question at hand is not, oh no, was God's hand shortened by what Samson did? That is not the question at hand. The question at hand is, is Samson living according to the calling of God? And would Samson's life be way better if he lived according to God? You see, living according to God's rules is actually the best life we could ever live. Does as we read through Samson's life, was that a life you want? Were you like, man, this is what I want? Maybe some of you are like, man, I want that strength, right? I don't know how many of you guys have killed a thousand dudes with a jawbone of a donkey. I know you're tough and you can bench press a lot and, and all the stuff you do, but like, really? A thousand dudes with the jawbone of a donkey. He, he tore a lion as one tears a young lamb. Now, I don't know how one tears a young lamb because I've never done that before, but that sounds like pretty impressive strength. So I know some of you are like, I want to be strong like Samson. But if you really zoom out and look at the rest of his life, is this really a life that we're looking for? Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Does Samson's life look like rest? He says, Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does Samson's life look like he's living with an easy and light burden? That's the question at hand. So I wonder, as I read through chapters 14 through 16, did you find yourself rooting for Samson? Right? As I'm reading, you're like, man, I just... Uh, this guy's chosen by God. He's called from like before conception. He's set apart by God. Did you find yourself like cheering for him? Like, listen, dude, just get it right. You're like waiting for the turn in the story. Like it's just going down and down. And you're like, all right, at some point, this thing's got to like pick up out of this nosedive. You're just cheering for him. But you're really left at the end of the story, either trying to like contort something to make it like faithfulness, like, oh, at the end, he called out to God and God did. No, he asked for vengeance on, for his eyes. So you're either left to like try to twist the scriptures to say something they're really not saying, or you're left with this really empty feeling that he never really got it. That feeling of rooting for Samson is what the author is working to awaken in his audience. The author wants Israel to see themselves in Samson. The author wants them to see Samson failing to live out his end of his covenant with God. He wants Israel to see that God is perfectly still fulfilling his end of the covenants. He wants Israel to turn from their evil ways and walk in the good way that God has for them. That's what he wants to see happen in his audience. That feeling of rooting for Samson is what the author would want to awaken in you as well. He would want you to see yourself in Samson. He wants you to see Samson failing to live out his covenant with God. He wants you to see God perfectly living out his covenant with his people. And he wants you to turn from the sin in your life and start walking in the ways of the Lord. Have you been chosen and set apart by God? If so, your life should act like it. You should walk in his ways. Did you? You know, 
that there is an entire chorus rooting for you? Did you know that? The Bible tells us that there is joy and rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Did you know that? It says that the angels are are just longing to rejoice when one sinner repents. So something's happening in heaven where angels and all the saints before us are just waiting for one sinner who would turn from his evil ways and trust anew in God. And they are waiting for that moment to rejoice. There is an entire chorus in heaven that is rooting for this to happen. The writer of Hebrews calls the saints before us in this picture a great cloud of witnesses. So I'd like to conclude this morning by looking at the book of Hebrews. So turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Feel free to use your table of contents if you need to. After we preach through Judges and Ruth, most likely we're going to go into the book of Hebrews. It's a fascinating book about the supremacy of Christ. Hebrews chapter 11 is typically called the Hall of Faith. The whole chapter is about all of the Old Testament uh, saints, not all of the Old Testament saints, but many of them, and pointing to their faith and how their faith has has endured them and, and brought them into this cloud of witnesses. I want you to read with me. Uh, Mike read this last week, but I think it serves us well to read this again this week. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, Enforce justice, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions, quench the power of fire, escape the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flights. Did you see that? Did you see who was listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Samson. Like, do you ever read your Bible and like stuff just jumps out to you? You're like, are you serious? Samson. It's almost like uh, Peter writes in Second uh, Peter that Lot is righteous, and if. If you go read about Lot in Genesis, you're like, I, I'm not seeing any righteousness, Peter. Like, this is crazy. How's, how's this happen? And so we're here, and the writer of Hebrews is talking about the faith, and he talks about Abraham, and he talks about Isaac, and Jacob, and David. He talks about Moses. He talks about all these people in the hall of faith. And then he lists Samson. Despite all of Samson's failures and shortcomings and disobedience, God was able to save him. We could just marinate on that thought for a moment. Everything we just read, all his failures, all his sins, all his shortcomings, uh, all the disobedience of the Nazarite vow, all of it, God was able to save him. And now Samson is in this cloud of witnesses Longing to rejoice over sinners who would repent. Read now what our response is supposed to be to this cloud of witnesses. Chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what are we to do? Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us. Have you been chosen and set apart by God? Act like it. Turn from your sins. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And walk in the ways of the Lord. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. For some of you, this will be doing so for the first time. You've been walking contrary to the clear teaching of the Bible. You have been sinning against God. And yet you know that God is calling you to do something different. God is calling you to a whole different lifestyle. A completely different manner of living. For me, I was in college, and uh, I was living in as much sin as Samson, though without the killing a thousand people or ripping apart lions with my bare hands. Uh, But there was much sin in my life. And I knew of a couple of Christians, and I would see them And I knew their manner of life. I knew what they were doing was drastically different than what I was doing. And the Holy Spirit would awaken in my mind this idea, Brian, you're supposed to be living more like them and way less like you. And that's, maybe God's doing that in your life. He keeps putting these Christians around you, not like the fake Christians, but the real Christians who actually love the Lord and who actually walk in the Lord's ways. And you keep seeing them, and, and there's just something inside you that's like, that, that's supposed to be you. You're not supposed to live like you're living. You're supposed to live like that. And actually, that life will be better for you than the one you're living. If that's you, you need to repent. It's a fancy church word for turn around. Stop walking in this way and start walking in that way. I'm not saying it's easy, but it is simple. Just stop walking this way and start walking this way. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart that leads to a change of action. You've been chosen and set apart by God. You need to act like it. Turn to him. Be saved. I honestly can't think of a better day to do that than today. I I really can't. I, I can't think of any better day to do that than today. For some of you, this will be repenting of specific things in your life that are contrary to the calling that you know that you have on your life. So you know that you're chosen and set apart for God. You know Ephesians 1, yes, I've been chosen. Uh, I've been chosen to be holy. I, I know all that. But if you're honest about your current manner of life, there are things that are coming to mind now that look nothing like that calling. Maybe it's sins, maybe it's something, some step of obedience that you're not taking. It is something that is contrary to God's call in your life. Sins that need to be confessed or repented of, steps of obedience that need to be taken, whatever it is, you know that you need to change. You need to turn to the Lord. You've been chosen and set apart by God, and now you need to walk in it. You need to walk in it. I remember I was, uh, this is an epiphany I have on a regular basis, like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to, like, actually do this in my actual life. Uh, But one of the first big, big times, and there were some significant changes I needed to make in my life, Um, I'd been a Christian for, like, seven years. But uh, as one pastor would call it, I was lukewarm and loving it, right? I just was kind of, like, hanging out as a Christian. I'd go to church when it was convenient. Uh, I would pay lift service to the Lord when it was convenient. 
but if I was accused of being a Christian, like if, if Christianity became illegal and I was accused for being a Christian, there'd be like no evidence that I was a Christian except for a little bit of church attendance and the fact that I had a couple of Bibles in my house. And I remember I was listening to this sermon and, and I just had this epiphany like, oh, no, like my actual life, like the way I work should be affected by my faith in Christ. The way I treat my wife should be affected by, the, by my belief in Christ. The way I speak, the way I use my money, the, everything about my life should be affected by my belief in Christ. So that may be you this morning. There's something that you know, there's something clear, you know, this is, this is more like Samson. This is more like myself. This is way less like Jesus. This is way less like the calling that God has on my life. You need to turn from that. You need to turn from that and trust in the Lord. You've been chosen and set apart by God. It's time to act like it. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I love you guys. Let's pray. Lord, you have chosen us. You have set us apart. And far too often, we live just like the world around us. So Lord, we pray that you would awaken us Awaken us, stir us up to walk in your ways. Awaken us to turn from doing what is right in our own eyes and instead do what is right in your eyes. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, as the musicians come up, I'm going to open up an option for you that we... I don't know if we've ever done this. If so, it's been a really long time. Um, we're going to sing another song, Behold Our God, powerful words in this song about who God is. Um, but I'm going to open up an option for you that may be particularly helpful following this sermon. This raised platform here uh, actually offers as a pretty good place for you to kneel down and pray before God. So if there's something specific that God is working on in you that you need to turn from or a step of obedience that needs to happen, as we sing this next song, even if the Lord's Supper starts to happen, even if the next thing happens and you need to be praying and doing work with the Lord, you can do so up here. Now, you can do the same thing where you're sitting. There's nothing special about this. We didn't like sprinkle this with holy water or anything like that. However, sometimes doing something different with our bodies out there, Monday through Saturday, can start by doing something different with our bodies here. Uh, so if you think that would be helpful for you, I, I encourage you to come forward uh, during this song and pray to God and make commitments to God. It also invites the people around you to be praying with you and for you, uh, whatever God is doing in your life. So if you would, go ahead and stand, continue to sing with us. And again, if you want to pray up here, I encourage you to do so.